Welcome to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast. My name is Talaya Dendi. I am a 10-year cancer thriver, cancer doula, and owner of On the Other Side. I use my experience to help others get on the other side of cancer. This podcast is about sharing stories, resources, and information about all things related to cancer and wellness. I interview guests from all walks of life who are living with cancer, caregivers, and those who made it on the other side. Also, I talk with organizations, healthcare professionals, and experts in the health and wellness spaces who offer complimentary and integrative care. Join me. We are in this together. Hello, and thank you for joining Navigating Cancer Together. I am your host, Talea Dindi. Today, we have another great episode for you. And my special guest today is Kim Hammer. On April 16th, 2009, Kim watched her 44-year-old husband take his last breath. During his illness and after his death, she was amazed the helpful ways her coworkers, bosses, friends, and family supported them. Kim started calling their kind actions, acts of love. After the death of her husband, Kim, who's an HR leader, noticed how little guidance leaders received when navigating cancer, a health crisis, or the death of a team member. She knew their lack of knowledge negatively affected morale, employee engagement, and productivity. She set out to change that. Combining her personal experience with her professional knowledge and leadership skills, Kim launched her business to support leaders and co-workers when cancer or really any health crisis affects a team member. Today, Kim is joining us to share some acts of love. Kim, thank you so much for joining us and welcome. Italia, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. My pleasure. So Kim, you know, I just shared a lot there um, about, you know, the loss of your husband and your HR background. And why don't we start off, please walk us through your husband's journey through your lens. Sure. So um, my husband and I, we, I joked that we met in a cave. He was six foot six tall. So having someone very tall, I convinced him to come caving with me on a, on a class trip that he was a teacher on. So that's how our relationship started. And um, early 2006, he's, um, he has always been a cyclist all his life and he started taking up running. And one day he came home and he said, I just, I just feel like I can't breathe. And, you know, like every concerned wife, I gave him my asthma meds. I said, here, take this, try this instead. Right. Um, and his symptoms kept getting worse and worse and worse. Um, we, you know, when we found out he had cancer, it was just out of, it was just like out of a movie, you know, the doctor, we were on one side of the exam table. The doctor was on the other side of the exam table. He laced his fingers together and he said, it looks like you have cancer. He couldn't confirm it because I needed to do a biopsy. Um, and, you know, during that time, our children were four or three. When he was first diagnosed, they were three, five, and eight. Um, and during that time, you know, I was really amazed at how many people stepped up to help. But I also noticed, you know, at first, a lot of people kept saying, if you need anything, let me know. If you need anything, let me know. And at first, that felt really good because we kept hearing it over and over and over again. And we kept thinking, okay, this is great. People are here to support us. But then later in the journey, I realized it wasn't very helpful at all. Um, and, and I'll go into a little bit of, of why it's not helpful a little bit later. Mm -hmm. um, so he um, valiantly disentangled himself from cancer. I like to use the cancer as an entanglement mm -hmm. and it involves more than one person. So, you know, even if you are the only person who has cancer, that, you know, in your family, you're the only person, you know, that you, that, you know, you're still, it's an entanglement with the people you work with. It's an entanglement with your neighbors. It's an entanglement with the doctor. So cancer is an entanglement. It's not a battle. Mm. Um, so he disentangled himself and we started to put our lives back together in 2007. And it was difficult. I think people, you know, I was surprised by, it wasn't like you're cancer free and now you can go back to the way you were. It was you're cancer free. And now you need to struggle with the side effects of the chemo and the cancer and the mental and emotional side effects 
of, you know, having cancer, being so close to dying. Um, and so that was really a surprise to me. And we started to get our lives back together and started to just kind of move forward and started to think about, you know, the, the cancer really affected our marriage. Um, it affected the kids, obviously. So just trying to figure ourselves out in this new cancer-free world, which wasn't cancer-free, you know, every three months we went back, we would hold our breath. And then we went back every six months and we'd hold our breath. So there was always that breath holding. And then in November, he just wasn't feeling well again. Um, and December, I, I'd gone back east to help my mother pack up our family house. And I came back and I was really mad because my husband hadn't done any of the Christmas shopping like I had asked him to. And, but he was off, you know, something wasn't right. He wasn't feeling well. And we both just didn't see the signs. And then in, in January, he said, I, I really feel like I can't breathe. My husband's very stoic, didn't, didn't like to talk about pain. And so he kept saying it. And I said, sweetheart, if you can't breathe, like we need to take it to the ER. So we took him to the ER. He turned out he had a blood clot and he had a blood clot because he'd been sitting so much and he'd been sitting so much because the cancer had come back. Um, and it came back again, stage four. And then four months after that, he died. Wow. I'm sorry to hear that, Kim. And, you know, in these situations, people really don't know what to do or say, you know, there's no manual or book. So thankfully, we have you now that can kind of guide <laughs> us and give us some positive things to say or encouraging things to say. One thing I do want to point out is I really like how you said cancer is an entanglement. I don't like to use that word battle. But I think entanglement really captures the true nature of what it's like to to walk through cancer and face cancer. Agreed. So, yeah, yeah. And um, I, you know, I, I liken it to Christmas tree lights. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> like they're <laughs> yeah. all tangled up. And then you get this long strand and everything's free and you're like, oh, I'm getting it. And then, they, and then the other side is all tangled up. That's what cancer, that's what the journey with cancer is like. Sometimes it's straight and you're like, this is great. And then it's like so balled up that you're thinking there's, I'm just going to buy a new set. (laughs) That's right. Tangle this, you know? Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you enjoy that. Cause I think that really describes it. And it also describes the, the after effect of cancer as well, because it's not just you're cancer free and everything. Like I said, it's not just we I'm cancer free. And now I'm going to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro because, (laughs) you know, it's on my bucket list, right? Got a new lease on life. I mean, there were nights my husband and I sat and looked at each other. We'd lie in bed and we look at each other and we go, What the F just happened? Yes. Like, did that, like, oh my God, that really just happened. Mm -hmm. You almost died. It's like, I know, I almost died, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's, it takes time. Um, I did want to get back to that phrase. If you need anything, let me know. So, Mm -hmm. so many people use that phrase and look, y'all, I, I, after this, you can no longer use it again. And it's okay that you used it in the past because we didn't know better, right? There's no Mm -hmm. school, there's no class. We didn't, you know, it's not like all our classmates went someplace and we missed out on that day. Right. Um, I used to say it all the time to my friends because I thought it was really, really helpful. But there are three specific reasons it's not helpful. One, what is anything, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So we had friends who had these beautiful, fancy cars and no kids. Did anything mean that you're going to go pick up my three-year-old, my sneezing, snot-nosed, possibly vomiting three-year-old from preschool? Right. And figure out how to put a car seat in your car. Like, were you willing to do that when you said anything? Or did you mean that you'd be happy to get a gallon of milk, right? Right. And so anything is too big a word. And in the moment, we really do mean anything. Mm -hmm. But the reality is we really don't mean anything. We have our own personal limits. And it's fine that you have the limits and it's good that you have your limits. Mm -hmm. So that's too big. The second reason is you are asking the person who is in crisis who I like to say is may look like they have a full deck of cards, but it does not have all 52, well, yeah, 52 cards in that deck. They are, they are trying to manage this disease. They've just, they've just discovered it, or they're in the middle of it. They're worried about dying. They're worried about their children. They're worried about finances. They're worried about so many other things. So they are highly distracted. And you are asking this person to sit down and pull apart their day and to give you one part of that day right? So if someone comes to you and says, what do you need help with? Most of us go, um, 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 
Um, um, nothing really, I can't think of anything right now, right? So the same thing happens when you ask someone to, with cancer to, you know, what, what you, if there's anything you can do, they have no idea what kind of help. I had no idea what kind of help we needed. Mm-hmm. I knew one thing. I knew that meals were going to, I was so excited because I don't like to cook. So the idea of someone else cooking for us was, I was like excited about that. Mm-hmm. But that was the only thing I knew that we needed. I didn't know we needed a cooler by the front door. I didn't know how powerful someone changing the oil in my car would be. I didn't know that we needed, that I needed rides for art back and forth, both mentally. I needed the physical and mental break from care, from caregiving for him. I didn't know that I needed someone to sit with me, you know, sometimes after he died, I didn't know I needed a male presence in the house when I, after he died. So we don't know, we don't think of all the ways that people can support us. Right. And then the third, and the third reason it's not helpful is because let's just say I do figure it out. Then you're asking me, who's in an extremely vulnerable state, out of my head, not all cards in the deck there, to ask you to do something that you may not really want to do, that you may go, oh, I don't have time to do that. Can I do that tomorrow? Or that wasn't really what I was thinking. Like you're asking me to risk that rejection. Mm -hmm. And in my vulnerable state, I am not going to risk that rejection. So, you know, I often say there were times I would rather, you know, there's some new times when I would go to make dinner or pasta is a great example. I remember this very clearly. I boiled the water. I had the sauce on. I go to the cabinet and there's no pasta. Mm -hmm. And at this point, you know, my husband is really ill. And so I, I just can't fathom calling up someone going, hey, can you get me pasta right now? Um, so I loaded the three, I was exhausted, but I loaded the three kids into the car. I told my husband where I was going. I ran down the store, took the kids out of the car in me, right? Because I can't, I can't have them in the car because someone might call the police. So I got to get them out of the car, go in. I end up grabbing lots of pasta because I don't want to run out again. And, you know, but it's, it's amazing amount of energy that I have to put out, but I would rather put that out than to call someone who said, if you need anything, let me know and say, Mm -hmm. Hey, I need pasta right now. Yeah. Um, so it is the one phrase that I say, please don't say anymore. And, and what to say instead is be specific. There are things that you can do and that you want to do. There are things that, that your person with cancer or their caregiver may not even realize that they need. Someone mm-hmm. suggested that they make lunches for my kids. And I thought you can't do that because the sandwiches will get all soggy, whatever. And they said, well, we'll put everything else together. And you just do the sandwiches. And that had never dawned on me. Mm-hmm. Um, the second time my husband had cancer, someone said, put a cooler by the front door so we don't have to be home to receive the meals. And it was like this mind blowing thing because you know, the energy when someone dropped, first of all, trying to arrange my schedule to make sure that I'm home to get a meal is one thing. And then the energy people deliver meals and they want to talk and they want to see how Mm -hmm. you are. And sometimes I just didn't have the energy, you know, um, sometimes I, you know, I, I had to leave quickly because I had to go pick up my husband at the cancer, at the cancer treatment center, or sometimes Mm -hmm. my husband had just gotten home and I hadn't seen him all day. And the last thing I wanted to do was chat with the person who was bringing us lasagna. So um, the cooler was just one of those incredible gifts that someone else suggested. So we all have our capabilities. I will not cook for you, but man, I'm a great grocery shopper, Mm -hmm. you know, so be as specific as you possibly can and then offer more than once because we all know we all like to help, but it's very hard to accept help. And so I say offer more than once. So the person remembers that you're offering it and knows that you're really serious about helping them. Great. Thank you for sharing those wonderful tips and sharing your personal experiences as well. So to that point, Kim, why do you think people struggle with what to say or what to do? Because there's two sides to this um, to this situation. So why do you think the people that want to help and that make that statement, why do you think they struggle? I think is we all want direction. You know, we don't, first of all, we're afraid of hurting or doing more damage to the person who's already struggling. Um, And it's really hard to take a chance. It feels really risky to go out there with no guidelines because, right, there's really kind of no, like you said, there's no book 
except for mine and a few others out there that say, this is what to do. Um, So it's really hard. You don't want to cause them any additional pain or stress. Mm -hmm. And you're waiting for them to tell you what to do because you really want to do something that's very helpful. And so if they tell you what to do, then you know, it's going to be helpful. You know, it's going to be something that they need. Um, and then I think on the other side is a lot of anger, right? It's like, I am fighting for my life right now. I am really struggling. I don't know what to do. And you're waiting for me to give you direction, just do something. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so I think that's the other side and, 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 you know, it's, it's a gap and something or, you know, something needs to kind of bridge that gap. Wonderful. I could not agree more. And so Kim in the workplace, I'm sure there's people in the audience listening and they're saying, well, I know someone at work that that has cancer, my boss, a coworker, what should I say to them? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it varies a lot by your relationship, but I will say this, the first thing is absolutely 100% acknowledge what they're going through. Do not ignore it. I mean, think about, you know, the crises that we go through in our lives. Witnessing somebody is is really, is so important and we forget that, right? So it's just saying, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry this is part of your journey. And you can stop right there. It's hard because we wanna fix it. We wanna say, I'm so sorry this is part of your journey. And if you need anything, let me know. Mm -hmm. We wanna go into that fix mode because it's uncomfortable to acknowledge someone else's pain. It's uncomfortable to acknowledge someone is going through something that you cannot fix. And if anything about this country that I love and sometimes hate is we are a country of fixers. We are like, we can do it. You've got this. We're going to get this. We're going to fight. That's where the battle comes from. We're going to beat this. Right. And so it's really hard to sit and just say, I'm sorry, this is happening to you. And just leave it at that. You can say, I don't know what to say. And to me, sometimes when people said that, that was the most heartfelt thing because it meant that what they were witnessing in our lives was so tragic that they were speechless. And honestly, being speechless is, a, is, is a, when someone else, having someone else be speechless around your, your situation is a gift mm-hmm. because it just, you understand how, how hard it actually is. So that's the first thing. And then depending on your relationship, you know, there are things that you can do or say, you know, I, I'm all, I'm a big proponent of hot, hot stuff. Mm-hmm. So hot coffee, hot tea, you know, can I bring you a cup of coffee tomorrow morning? Like I noticed you drink Starbucks. What do you drink in your Starbucks? And they go, and you go, okay. And then you make sure sure you show up tomorrow morning and you bring them a cup of Starbucks. Mm -hmm. Or if it's a team, if it's a team member and, you know, they are going to be out for treatment or, you know, for maybe Tuesdays and Wednesdays, they're going to miss work or they need to leave work early on Tuesdays and they're out on Wednesdays. Um, You know, you can offer to, I know you write the agenda for the meeting, or I know you do this for the project, or, you know, let's sit down and let's look at your workload. I'm happy to take something off your plate for the next few months. Um, Thank you for sharing those examples. And Kim, you mentioned acknowledging that someone has cancer. I think that's so important because I've seen and also experienced where people don't acknowledge in the workplace. And a lot of it probably has to do with them just being uncomfortable. But I think it's so important to just talk about the elephant in the room and have those tough conversations. So again, thank you for giving people some tips and helping them to, you know, have these conversations in the workplace where things may be a little more taboo and off guard. So thank you for that. No matter what you do, it takes courage. You know, you have to be able to step. This is not their cancer is not about you. Um, and it takes courage. You know, you may take a misstep and it's okay. Mm-hmm. You have a misstep, you go back and you say, I'm sorry, I misstepped. Here's what I want to do. Right. So it's this, this is, this is a practice of courage yeah. and of love. I agree. I agree. And that leads to my next question, Kim, what are some things that we should not say? <laughs> There's so <laughs> many, 
So I'll do, I'll say with two of the, of the ones that I hear the most is the, the, I call them the drop mic phrase, stay strong. You got this. Don't be afraid. Think positive, right? We, we say these things thinking that we're being helpful. And what this does is it immediately distances you from from the person who's dealing with this. They know from you, they know from the phrase that you said that you are not a person who can be relied on, that you are not in touch with your feelings, that you that their cancer makes you uncomfortable. That's the immediate. Now, when you say them even kindly, like I, you know, you can say things like, hey, I do morning affirmations. Would you like to do them with me? That's way different than stay positive, be, you know, be strong. The other thing when you do that is you're actually giving them something to do right, with no direction. Mm-hmm. So you're just piling onto them one more thing that they have to figure out to manage on their own, right? Stay strong. Well, how do I do that? What does that look like? What do you mean by that? How do I stay strong in my weakest moments? Like, so that's not helpful. The second phrase, which is one um, <laughs> we mean so well by it, but it always starts with at least at least it's the good kind of cancer at least it's stage one at least you only have to get radiation at least you'll be able to take some time off and read right so there's this there's this we're constantly trying to diminish and and we do it from a good place we do it because we want them to feel the to see the positive but it's not our job to bring them the positive. Our job as people who love these people, care about these people who are going through any type of life crisis, our job is to witness them, to love them, and be specific on the type of support we have. Our job is to not make them feel better unless they have assigned us the job, right? Unless unless we're the person who's like the jokey person who always tells a good joke. Um, So when we say these things, we diminish what they're going through. Right. I remember someone said to my husband, wow, this is great. At least you'll get off of work and you'll get to read chemo. Y'all, I don't know if you, if you haven't had cancer, you haven't witnessed someone going through chemo. Chemo is not a picnic. Chemo destroys your body. You can't focus. It puts you in a lot of pain all the time. You're incredibly fatigued. You know, it's, it's not something like you get to read and watch movies all day long and it's popping bonbons, you know? So radiation is terrifying. It burns your skin. It causes pain. You know, even immunotherapy, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and he said he lost his sight. Like, Mm -hmm. and he went this massive panic for several hours. He lost his sight from the immunotherapy he was taking. So it's not a picnic in a park. And so the idea of at least that's you wanting to minimize their, wanting to minimize your fear of what they're going through. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important when you start to say these negative things, I always, always advise before you say anything, have a good cry. Go write about how pissed off you are about whatever it is about them having cancer. Because if you don't get that out of you, it will leak out of you in the way that you support and help the person who is dealing with this crisis. That is wonderful advice. And um, you're spot on. I've heard all of those things before and they don't make you feel very good. So again, Kim, we need someone like you to help educate (laughs) the masses out there so that we get this thing right, because it's hard enough as it is. And um, to that point, Kim, what are some things that managers should specifically know about their employees that have cancer? I think the first thing is I always tell managers to make sure they have an open conversation. You spoke about earlier, the elephant in the room. Um, managers are afraid and rightly so. There are laws that, that say what, let, let you know what you can and cannot ask, right? So basically you need to talk to your employee and say, hey, let me know what your treatment schedule is. And I'd like to have a conversation with you so we can discuss your work. Right. So you, you know, so there are, you can't ask some questions of like, tell me what kind of cancer you have, what, what specifically is your treatment? You know, what, what kind of treatment are you getting? You cannot ask those, but you can ask what your regimen is and how often you're going to miss work. That's an okay question. I think managers are afraid to have that conversation with their employee because they're so afraid. They're Again, they're afraid that most of us don't say anything because we're all afraid. We're all afraid of saying and doing the wrong thing. We're afraid of insulting somebody. We're afraid of offending them. Um, So that's the first thing. And the second thing I often tell managers is make sure you have the conversation with the employee about the messaging that they want the rest of the company 
to, to deal, to have, right? Because this is an opportunity for the employee to message out the way that they want to be messaged, right? The, 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 so they, they can say, we just had something at, at my um, company I'm currently um, consulting with, where, where the employees, where I talked to the employee and she said, I don't want anyone coming up and doing those puppy eyes. Like I don't want yes. someone going, oh, and I specifically told the rest of the team, do not do this to her. Like, do not say that kind of, here's what you can say and here's what not to say. So the manager need in HR, I always advise HR get involved. Um, let them have the conversation about how would you like to message us? What do you want people to do? People are going to want to take action. So let them know what they can and cannot do. If you want to set up a meal train, fine. Does this person want someone showing up at their door with a meal? No. Do they like to have orders from, you know, do they want groceries, whatever it is. And then it is also really important that the manager have a conversation with the team and about the workload yes. because oftentimes I think people forget cancer is more you know more and more people are surviving cancer we have gotten very we've gone come a long way in our in our in our drug uh, treatments of cancer as well as our natural and you know mindful treatments of cancer and people are living with cancer and they are working with cancer Yes. So the idea that someone's going to have cancer and leave the workforce for three months and then come back in, sometimes that happens. But and I think it's I think it's 60 percent of the cases now people are working with cancer. So um, it's important that you have the conversation with the team and look in the beginning, the teams would be like, we'll do anything. And then two months later, the team is, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. So, so having those conversations with the team about what workload they are going to take on about how do you work with the employee who's dealing with cancer, how you don't take away all the projects from the employee who's dealing with cancer to make it quote unquote easy on them. And then you have to continue to have these conversations. That's the most important part is one conversation is never enough. Two rounds of chemo after the third round, you may be like, whoa, baby, I am taking Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday off. I'm only coming in Monday and Wednesday, mm -hmm. where in the beginning you were like, I got this. I'm coming in Monday, Tuesday, taking Wednesday, Thursday and coming in on Friday. So things as treatment progresses, the ability for the employee to do the work, their desire to do the work, their need to do the work, everything changes. So continuing to have those conversations is really important. I agree, Kim. And another thing that came to mind when you were just, you know, talking about this is flexibility. And I think is as flexible as both parties can be, that will help to ease a lot of the stress too, because sometimes due to workload, organizations are so rigid. And it's like, you know, this is a situation where the employee, they don't know what's going to happen one minute to the next. And yes. so some of that has to be eased. And I think on both sides as well. Yes, yes, absolutely. I think people forget that. And look, this is not, this is a very fluid situation and it makes it's, it's chaotic because there's no rules. Yeah. And it feels uncomfortable and we want to put rules in and the rule we put in may be good for two weeks. And we just have to really be aware of that. Mm -hmm. um, and there are, look, there are mood changes there. Everything changes when you have cancer. And so, um, you know, managers are trying, the manager's goal is to produce whatever it is to reach their KPIs, right? To make things happen so they can do their job well. So the manager has to manage the team, the employee, their desire to get the, the work done and themselves. And, and that's a huge thing to ask a manager, especially middle management who gets usually left in the dust by mm -hmm. corporate America. So it's a hard thing to ask a middle manager to figure out and manage on, on their own. It's, it's almost impossible. And Kim, based on your experience or what advice do you have for managers out there who have employees that don't want to share what's going on with them? Because that, uh, that happens a lot. Yes, yes, it does. And it's difficult. Um, so you have to you have to have the cone of anonymity, right? The cone of silence. Um, and you will have to make some adjustments on your team. Um, so let me let me back up. The employee who doesn't want to share their diagnosis, there, there's two types of things to happen. Usually employees go to their managers with their diagnosis and the manager then says, hey, go to HR. Sometimes employees go directly to HR and HR then goes to the manager and says, this is what's going on. So depending on that situation, it depends on how the manager can react. But the bottom line is you as a manager are not allowed to discuss this employee's 
issue with anybody. You can say to the team, this person will be taking Thursday and Friday off for the next, you know, three or four months. Um, I will not share with, you know, if they have chosen not to share with anybody, why? And here's how we're going to handle this situation. This is where HR and the manager need to work together because even though the employee doesn't want to discuss what's going on with them, the employee does need to discuss a work plan because it is possible that that employee can literally get fired because they're not doing what they are supposed to be doing. They don't, they're being silent about it and they're suffering in silence and they're trying to get their work done, but they're not getting their work done. They're not meeting their performance, their performance levels that they need to meet. And then the, then the manager feels like, I'm really sorry. I know you're sick, but you're not getting the work done. So it's really important that even if the employee doesn't want to share what's going on, that the employee, the manager and HR have a, an open conversation about workload because that employee does not want, probably does not want to lose their job. The company probably does not want to have to, you know, replace that person, which can take up to a year of right a year after someone is, after someone is new, um, is finally really productive. Um, so nobody, you know, it, it, most of us don't want to necessarily lose the employee. So we have to do whatever we can, but we need to let the employee know it's in their best interest to share a little bit about their treatment and to understand that, you know, to have an open conversation about work planning. I really like that, Kim, because most people have to keep their job in order to have insurance to exactly. pay for treatment. And I think exactly. Yes. And I think that's where that cycle starts. And then frustration, you know, comes into play. And then that's where the communication breaks down. Yeah. So great points. Thank you. Yes. Yes. And Kim, based on your experience, what advice do you have for spouses whose partners are diagnosed with cancer? Uh, well, that's me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) it is a journey and a half. Um, I think, I think for me, it was, I I kept moving a lot. Like I was always in motion because slowing down was really hard. Um, watching, you know, my husband who was, you know, the rock of the family who was the major breadwinner who was and an, you know i really to this day i'm still pissed off that he died i mean i'm always be pissed off that he died but he was an incredible father um watch him fight for his life um watch the medicine take over his personality there were times where the drugs they gave him made him mean and the kids didn't want to be with him so having the patience with that um And allowing people to help was really hard, but I realized early on. So I think, so let me just say this. The advice is this, breathe a lot, um, love fiercely, even through those really times where you just really want to take a, take a pillow and whack them in the head to bring them back. (laughs) Um, Have someone you can talk to. I think that that was really important to me. I needed to have someone who wasn't going to say, oh, it'll get better. Don't worry about it. I needed someone to witness my pain. I needed someone to call and be like, he just yelled at the kids again. I know it's the drug, but oh my God, I'm so mad. Like, I really just want to go in there and yell at him because he shouldn't be doing it this way. And, and, you know, and she's saying, it's the drug, Kim, it's the drug. I know, I know, I know it's the drug or, you know, watching him in pain. It's really hard to watch someone you love be in pain and not be able to fix it, not be able to make it better. So I would say, you know, go walk through those feelings, have someone who's close to you, who you can talk, who's not going to try to fix it for you. Um, and let people help. I'm going to tell you this really quick story. When Art was first diagnosed, I was like, okay, I can, I know the kids need rides to school, so we'll take care of that. And I know I need meals, but that's it. I think, I think we got it. I can do it. I can do my part. I can do my part-time job of writing for, you know, of being a writer for this company for, you know, being a freelance writer and I can take care of him. We got this. And my friend said to me, you're being really selfish. And I was like pissed. I was like, what do you mean you're being really selfish? And she said, Kim, people love you. They love art. They love the kids. And when you say no to the help, what you're basically saying is no to the love. Thank you so much. But yeah, no, we don't need you. You're not, you're, you know, you may not mean it to say, telling them that they're not worthy, but that's sort of the message that they're getting. So you, you cannot be selfish. And I hadn't looked at it that way. 
Um, my husband's cancer had an amazing effect on our community, you know, because our community came together and they would, they would be outside of my kid's school and talking and then they're like, oh my gosh, I got to go. I, you know, I got to, I, I got to go pick up, you know, Ezra. Oh, that's so funny. I'm picking up Ezra tomorrow. And so <laughs> it was this really neat community that came together. We, you know, um, and they all supported each other. And it was, it's a gift when you let people help you were letting them step outside of themselves. You were letting them love. You were helping their mental well-being. I mean, the, 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 the science behind what happens when you support somebody and when you are loved and when you are supported and when someone witnesses someone else supporting somebody else, it's mind-blowing what it does to the mind. Yes. Talk about a dopamine hit. So it's bigger than you. What you're going through as the caregiver is bigger than you. Let people help. You are doing everybody a huge favor and you're helping everybody's mental health. Right. <laughs> so, and that's important. You keep someone from, if you want to keep someone from getting depressed, let them help you. <laughs> that's right. I love that, Kim. Wonderful advice. And you know, while you were talking, I thought about something else. And that's the spouse who's the caregiver. What advice do you have for them in the workplace or their manager? That is great. And thank you for touching on that because most of the time, you know, my writing, it's easy to talk about the person with cancer in the, in the, in the, in the workspace, but there are parents whose kids have cancer. There are parents who have partners who have cancer. So it's sort of the same thing. First of all, I want all of them to know that FMLA can apply to them. That's a family medical leave act, which gives them up to three months of time off in a year. If they've worked, if they're in a company with 50 or more employees and they, I think it's actually now they've lowered it to 20 and and they have worked for the organization for 1,250 hours. So I just want people to know if you are a caregiver, you get to take, you can take that time off. Now, financially, I know there's a whole nother burden on there and you may not be able to, or it, you know, it can hit hard, um, but you can take that time off and use that time. So as a manager, your job, look, it's hard because this person looks the same right? They, so, you know, let's go with the stereotypical look of someone with cancer with no hair or balding or thinning, you know, but this person looks okay. And, but you'll see their work will, they may have trouble focusing at work. They may start forgetting things. They may start being kind of spacey. They may not, they may miss deadlines. You'll start to see it show up in their work. And it's the same thing. Have the same conversation with the employee. Say, look, I know your partner is going through this, and I know you really want to do a good job here. Let's figure out a way to make it work so that you can spend the time with your partner and taking care of your partner and you can still do a good job, right? Don't, don't take off, don't take away all the hard projects because what we forget is work is important to us. Work oftentimes gives us the number one identity that we have. And the minute someone tries to start making your life easier, and I'm doing air quotes, by pulling the projects that you love away from you, you then suddenly feel useless and depressed and your work and, and their work ability, their um, work ethics will go right down the tube. So have that conversation with them. We wanna help, we know it's hard, Let's figure out what, what, you know, what can you accomplish in the next month? What do you think you can accomplish? And then have that repeat conversation in three weeks, in four weeks, in, in six weeks, in eight weeks, just keep having it because as you, as I talked about cancer treatments change people. Yes. And someone through one round may be fine. And, you know, I have a friend who the first couple rounds were great. The last round's a kicker. So, you know, she's hurting right now, not, you know, she was okay the first couple of rounds. So um, yeah, have that conversation and HR, please be aware. Like it's not, you know, it's not a shrug of the shoulders. It's not, it's not, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not, okay. You can do this, take off the time you want. Um, work is really important to us. Work is a huge, makes us, you know, gives us a huge identity of who we are. And when we have a coworker, when we have someone who is, who we're really working, I'm sorry, when we have someone who we are caring for and we are trying to hold down a job, it can be, it's really hard. It's really, really scary. Yes. So have those same conversations. Good. I'm so glad you brought that up to mm -hmm. I just, I'm so glad you brought that up. Absolutely. And thank you for going in depth and answering that question, because I know so many people are going through this, not just with cancer, but other illnesses as well. 
And Kim, that leads me to this question. What kind of documentation should the spouse or the person with cancer, should they be documenting anything? Um, so I think there's, there's a couple, obviously there'll be documentation that they will need to, to get FMLA or I'm in California. So we have CIFRA. Um, so there'll be documentation for that. You know, I, 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 um, I always recommend there's a great organization out there called Can uh, career cancer and careers. If you have cancer and you are in the workplace, I highly recommend that you reach out to them because they focus on people with cancer and navigating that whole space. Um, as an HR professional, I will tell you this, yes, document, document conversations, document what's happening, document the workload, document anything that you think that could have that, that doesn't feel right to you. Um, you know, people lose promotions because of their cancer diagnosis. People um, will get, well, you know, they don't get fired because of their cancer diagnosis. They get fired because of their performance, but there's the other piece of that. Also, I will remind listeners, there is the um, Americans with Disability Act, which does cover cancer. So even after you have cancer, you can ask for accommodations um, to help you kind of work through your work through the chemo, the side effects of or the, the post-cancer part of your life. Um, so, but I am not an expert in, I mean, I'm an expert in, I'm in HR, but I'm not an expert in, in managing um, employee, in managing I'm not an expert in the, in the employee who has cancer and what to do. I highly recommend that they go to this organization because they, that is exactly what they focus on. They really help employees dealing with cancer manage in the workforce. They talk about if you're going to a new job, what to say, if you're, there's an absence on your resume, um, you know, they're really good at this. So that's what I would recommend, but in general, yep, document, take little notes. Doesn't have to be this huge. Usually when you say document, I know this from HR, I'll tell a manager to document it and their eyes go <laughs> big and they go, oh, because they, they just picture reams and paragraphs. Documentation is three sentences. Today, my boss asked me how I was feeling. Um, and then said he was going to take away this project from me, which is a project we talked about three weeks ago that I wanted to be, wanted to be, um, uh, wanted to keep on when I asked him why he was taking that away from me. He said, because he just didn't think I could do it. That's a documentation. So it's four, that was four sentences or five. Um, so it doesn't have to be these long things, but yes, absolutely document because unfortunately there are companies out there and managers out there who don't have the patients, who don't know the laws, who aren't going to follow the laws, who are going to use cancer as an excuse um, for your performance. Um, you know, if you can, if you can get a performance review right as you're diagnosed, you can say it can come up, get a performance review then. So you have some baseline to measure yourself with. Um, and that would be really helpful as well. You can say, I'm still doing it. I'm still reaching these, these goals that we set out. I'm doing it a little differently, or we agreed on uh, that work plan is why it's so important. We agreed on doing it this way. Um, lastly, I will say this, don't wait for your manager to come up with a work plan. If your manager does not look, managers don't, people and managers don't know what to do with cancer. So why would your manager, unless your manager, you know, has worked with me or the HR team has worked with me or, you know, or they've had experience with this before, they're not going to know to have this work plan conversation with you. So if you are the one with cancer, start the work plan conversation with your manager. I'm going to treatment. My treatment will be these days. So I'll need to leave at this time. They tell me the side effects from the treatment will, will take two days. So I'll probably need, so what I'm trying to do is to leave early on Wednesday, knowing that the side effects will take Thursday and Friday. I'll have the weekend off and I'll return to work on Monday. So I'll be full-time Monday, Tuesday, and part-time Wednesday. Here is what I think I can do and how I think I can work on these projects. This is what I think I contribute. I'd like to take this off my plate or let's see what happens. So do not wait for your manager to start the conversation because managers don't know what to do either. Wow, Kim, thank you so much. You have shared so many gems and so much powerful information that when you're going through this thing, you just don't think about it. So yeah. thank you. It's so important. Kim, as we start to wind down here, I want to definitely talk about your book. And it's called 100 Acts of Love, A Girlfriend's Guide to loving your friend through cancer or loss. Please, Kim, tell us more about this book and why you chose to write this book. Sure. So what I realized, um, you know, after my husband died is 
honestly, after I got mad, because I got mad that some people stepped away, people I thought who were going to help be really helpful didn't. And then other people came in and took their places. So after I got through that anger, I was like, oh, I wouldn't have known what to do for me if I had been my friend. I wouldn't have had a clue. I would have said, if you need anything, let me know. I would have tried to cheer up with it. At least I would have bought a meal. That's those are like the only three things I knew to do. And so I wanted to write a really simple book for anyone to grab and to just say, oh my gosh, my friend has cancer. What do I do? What do I do? Open it up. Tip number 48, act of love number 48 says, be the bathroom stalker. I love that because it's not S-T-A-L-K-E-R, it's S-T-O-C-K-E-R, right? So what that means is be in charge of making sure that they have toilet paper, toothpaste, tampons, toothbrushes, makeup, because everything that happens when you have cancer is hard. So when you run out of toilet paper, you forget to put it on the list. Even if someone's going shopping for you, you forget to put it on the list and then you don't realize you're out of toilet paper until you're out of toilet paper. And that can be a very awkward situation because now you're looking for tissues and paper towel or whatever. So, so you can be the bathroom stalker or you open it up to this. I have the book in sections. So there's a section about how to help with the car, really helpful things to do with food instead of just bringing a meal, um, how to help with children if they have children, how to be helpful at work, how to keep them entertained. So I've got the chapters arranged in that order. And they're, it's a really simple read because y'all, I cannot read five pages to find that one tip. I need to open a book and be like, fill her car with gas. Great, done. Hi. Um, so I'm going to take your car today and I'm going to go fill it with gas. When's a good time for me to come pick it up, right? I need that, that simple a tip. So that's why I wrote it. I wrote it in a way that people, it's really accessible, really easy to, to find a tip. And I also wrote it. It's not the end all be all. It's not like these are the only hundred things that you can do or, you know, say not to say. It's also as a way to be creative because sometimes we just need a little push. Yeah. We just need someone to say, oh, gas card or, you know, fill the car with gas. And you go, oh, I know I can change the windshield wipers because we just had rain. I know their windshield, you know, their windshield wipers need to be changed or it leaps off into something else. We need that creative push. And then all of a sudden we're doing things that we feel are really helpful and then are unique to the person who's really, who's really needs the help. Because trust me, y'all, everyone's bringing a meal. Mm -hmm. um, like everyone, you know, everyone is, everyone's asking if you need anything, let me know. You will be the shining star when you come in and say, hey, um, so I'm going to pick your kids up on Friday after school and you're not going to get them back till 10. And I'm going to make sure they're really good and tired. So just know that it's going to be safe. There might be some inappropriate movie watching, but other than that, no. <laughs> so, you know, hey, by the way, just let you know, I'm taking over your meeting. I have all your notes from the last meeting. I just want to go over some points. Okay, good. You got it. Okay, good. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do it. Right. It just, just, you know, get in there and take that action because they need you. And yeah. I think that's the final point. We forget how much we matter. You know, I wish we could all have funerals before we die. Oh, yes. Because we could have people show up and remind us of all the ways that we have to touch people. So that coworker that you don't know very well, but you say good morning to every morning, you matter to them. You really do. And just because it's something personal like cancer doesn't mean that you shouldn't say or shouldn't touch it. Show up for them. You matter for them. You are uniquely qualified to do the one thing that they need from you. No one else can do it that way. So I just really want people to know that, you know, you're not living in a, you're not, not important. It's a double That's negative. You know, you I are so it. important and just show up in some small way because those small ways are what makes our life better. That's what makes our life whole and beautiful is that we feel we, we get to receive love and we get to give love. So Absolutely. that's why I wrote that book. And that's why it's called a hundred acts of love because people, it felt like every time someone did something for us, we were being loved and that love, honest to God, y'all, that love is what helped me get through the, the most devastating loss, you know, that's happened in my life. And that is the loss of my husband. Wow. Thank you, Kim, for sharing that. And Kim, if people are interested, where can they find your book? 
They can find it at 100actsoflove.com. And that's the number 100actsoflove.com. Um, also, I invite anyone to download five phrases never to say to anyone with cancer and what to say instead. So I'm not going to leave you all hanging by just telling you the five <laughs> phrases never to say. <laughs> I do tell you what, what to say, why it's not helpful and what to say instead. And they can download that at 100actsoflove.com backslash what not to say no spaces no capitals what not to say so you can be like robot what not to say <laughs> you find it there um and they'll have access there also they can find me on um on linkedin and i'm very active on linkedin and very active on instagram so those are the two things on linkedin under my name and instagram under 100 acts of love thank you for asking i really appreciate that Absolutely. Wonderful. So if you all have questions, check Kim out. As you can see, she's very knowledgeable. She has a lot of great tips and she's leading with love, most importantly. So make sure you look her up. And Kim, before we end today, I want to ask these two final questions. And the first one is, you know, what is something that you've learned in life or even through your experience um, that you would like to share with the audience? What's the biggest thing you want them to know? I think I just shared it, you know, just stepping into the power that you matter. You're not some insignificant being who's walking down the street, you know, um, understanding and taking responsibility for the fact that you matter and you have the ability to make someone's life a little bit better. Wonderful. Thank you. And finally, Kim, what is next for you? Ah, um, (laughs) so my goal is to speak, um, to speak on corporate stages at conferences, you know, at doctor's conferences, at nurses conferences, at lawyers conferences, at, you know, executive management conferences, just to remind everybody that, you know, when there is a crisis, because we're fooling ourselves, if you haven't dealt with someone dealing with cancer, or really just dealing with cancer, it's only a matter of time. It's not it's not if, it's when. Um, and, and I think I just, I, I, I really want to make sure that everyone knows what not, to, what not to say and how they can be helpful to anybody in any situation when they need it. So that's, that's what's next is building the speaking, building my speaking platform and, and speaking all over the world on this message. Wonderful. And I wish you the best with that. I know you will do well with that. And again, Kim, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us today. And again, sharing so much knowledge and wisdom and also love. Talia, thank you so much for your time and energy. And I so love what you're doing. You're an incredible resource for women, women of color, um, and for anyone who's dealing with cancer, because I think you the title is right, Navigating Cancer is, um, is just, it, it is, it's a navigation. You need tools and you just don't know where you're going to end up. So, um, yeah. So thank you for what you do. I really appreciate you. I appreciate you as well, Kim. And thank you so much for your kind words. And before we wrap up today, I would like to give a shout out to the listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that you found this episode very helpful and enlightening as well. And that is it for this Wednesday. And until next time, let's keep navigating cancer together. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Navigating Cancer Together. I hope you enjoyed it. Please be sure to subscribe. And if you appreciate the show, drop a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For notes from the show, visit ontheotherside.life and check out the podcast section. After you check out the show notes, head over to my gift shop and show yourself or someone special in your life some love with gifts of encouragement, hope, and positive affirmations. I would love it if you joined us for the next episode. Talk to you soon.